Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Travel Sheeland, your other host. And today we're moving on to book two of our current series, The City of Ember Trilogy by Jean Dupro. This is book two, The People of Sparks. And I remember definitely like about the first three chapters, but not any more than that. So I guess it's kind of new for both of us. Yeah, I guess it's not too much of a reread for you, but that's all right. And for anyone who is new to the show, we're a podcast on the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends, and we read and reread young adult books from our adolescence and share them with each other. And I picked out this series, and I had at least read the first book. But now I guess we're kind of both newbies to the rest of it. But Asia is the true newcomer. So Asia, will you give us a summary of the first half of the book so far? Yeah, very quick summary today. So the 400-plus Emberites have left the city and have found their way to a small village called Sparks that seems to be a post-apocalyptic outpost. It's primitive because they don't have the tech of the 20th and 21st century anymore, and the people of Sparks start to take in the Emberites, but tension starts to grow as the people of Sparks do not want to support the people from Ember, but the people from Ember are very hungry and just need to find a new home. So the conflict is obviously boiling. And now Lena, Lina, I think I'm just decided I'm going to call her Lima Bean from now on because to me that's a better name. And now Lima Bean has decided to stow away with Casper the Roamer to go see the city, which we don't know what city this is, but this is where she's headed with Casper. So For my impressions of this reading, I will say that I was pretty satisfied, or I am pretty satisfied with where the story is going. I do, I was telling Charles how I feel it's pretty intriguing, like I really didn't want to stop reading, like I wanted to continue, especially since the end of this reading ends with Casper and Maddie finding Lima Bean as a stowaway with them and so it's like where are they going what is this city what are they gonna find there so like I'm very excited to hear about that but I think overall just I'm very intrigued I I found this story very intriguing which I'm kind of surprised because I feel like with the younger characters it's not we don't connect with it as much because it's like certain things like we talked in the last book like the characters being so naive and clearly innocent was kind of like oh but I don't know I'm really enjoying the book like I'm kind of surprised like I'm pleasantly surprised yeah I would agree I I've found myself also not wanting to put it down I do agree that the whole younger characters could be a like could be a cause for concern but it's not been so far yeah, my biggest overall impression was that I remembered basically the story of the Emberites leaving Ember, but that was it. And yeah, then I was like, oh my god, I don't know the rest of this plot, but it's interesting themes, so I'm excited to get into it. Speaking of getting into it, so we start with Torin, who is a child of Sparks. And he's watching the 400 Emberites arriving, and he is, from, like, the first line, he's 
completely insufferable. I can't stop thinking about how dirty and grimy the Ember people look. Like, <laughs> that's a direct quote from this boy named Torin. Which, like, so rude. Like, I hate this character. Like, okay, I guess we get, like, a true antagonist. Like, yeah. I hate him. But he is right. They do look like a mess, but they've been living in a cave for 200 years. And we do get the story of how Ember left, how the rest of the city, you know, found Lima Bean and Dune. And I guess Mrs. Murdo, as we got at the very end of the book, she receives their message. And I guess she was also kind of stupid enough or dumb enough to, like, at least trust the mayor at first. Because she goes to present the mayor with this information, but... He just, you know, loops in his guards and Looper and they and they try to escape on their own without telling anybody. So, like, they just try to go on their own to find the boats and they don't tell anyone else in the city. But luckily, Mrs. Murdo isn't that trusting because even though she goes to him when nothing is done, she tells everybody else and they gather everyone on their own. But at least this mayor who is very selfish, his selfishness does get himself killed. So him, all the guards who tried to escape and Looper all die basically because as they're trying to get on the boats they're like surprised by the people showing up so they all fall into the rev all fall into the river and are whisked away so that happens but so clearly uh, and then with once everybody else goes there's a huge panic people trying to get in the boat so a lot of people do die in this whole panic of people trying to escape but i mean they still come out like they said with like just over 400 people so to think if maybe like a hundred or so people died, I think that's pretty good odds. It's unfortunate that people panicked to cost them their lives, but pretty good odds. Well, they said it was like at least 20 people who died. But either way, that's quite serious. Also, like, what a turn. Like, the first book is so... I mean, obviously, Lyanna's grandmother dies, but it's not at all like an aggressive story but like which is like three chapters in and like they were like yeah a bunch of people just drowned violently in the river guess that's what happens and at first i thought lizzie had died too because you know she was with looper but later on she's alive so clearly she could not have and this was basically the cutoff of what i remembered so i had a vivid memory of reading like an image of the fat mare trying to, like, get away with all the food he's stolen in the storehouses. But obviously when that didn't happen at the end of Ember, I was like, oh, it's got to be the beginning of Sparks. So, but then, yeah, that's basically as far as I remember, like, having an active memory of what happened. Like, Torin, no idea. Did not remember him. Didn't like him immediately. And what we have been getting is a lot of our Ember characters exploring the new world, for example, Dune is looking at some flowers and he sees a bunch of new spiders and I thought of you. Like I said, Dune needs a new hobby. That's disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah. I was like, oh, look at those spiders Stop. for Dune and for Asia. <laughs> Stop saying the word. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> okay. Well, so they're in the City of Sparks, which you mentioned is a post-disaster settlement. And we find out that this world is some sort of post-apocalyptic because they don't have gasoline for cars. I'm sorry, they call they... it gasoline. We don't got no gasoline here. <laughs> we don't know what gasoline was, no but gasoline. we don't got any of that. 
That's how I imagine them speaking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's literally how it was written in the book. <laughs> this is not how it was written. It's like when you thought that Lyra Balakwa had a southern accent. I'm like, you just meet a young character that you don't know and you just assume they're southern. I ain't gonna do that. I ain't gonna go with them. She she was southern. I don't care how she was written. She had a southern British accent, I guess. Like, I don't know where she was from. Literally raised in Oxford, but okay. Anyway, so what's more important is basically that the city of, or the town of Sparks is in many ways more primitive than the city of Ember, which was built with a bunch of fancy tech to keep it alive for 200 years. But, and they also don't have any of the resources, like the food or housing, to double their population with the Ember people. So this causes the Sparks town leaders to say that they're going to put the people of Ember up in this old, broken-down hotel, the Pioneer Hotel. So I have two things. Number one, honestly, while I was reading this, living in this, like, caveman environment where we've lost all technology and running water, to me, that would be worse than living in Ember. Like, I'd 100% take the, the perpetual darkness over this, like, if there's an apocalypse, just letting I'll be the first one to go. I'll just, you know, jump off a building. Like, there's just no way. I won't be able to function. I have no desire to live in a world like that. No, thank you. <laughs> Two, and much more importantly, I have something else to say. We are such opposites. I, we are such opposites. I'd be like, yes, let's go back to farming. To farming where, like, your only source of entertainment is looking at spiders and flowers? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But anyway, back to my second point. So the Sparks leaders, like, decide that they're only going to help the people of Ember for six months. They said they're going to keep them for six months, and then they're going to be forced to go off on their own and create their own town separate from the Sparks. And I was just like, dang, because the Sparks leaders even admit that they know that the Emberites, they're never going to be able to survive on their own because they've talked about how their city or their like village, it's taken them forever just to finally like be like sufficiently like okay and self-sufficient. And these people like they don't even know half of the things in the world because they've lived underground like they're completely like uneducated like there's only so much they can teach them in six months. So I don't know it just seems like a little or maybe not a little like extremely cruel to only let them stay for the six months and then like force them to be on their own especially because I just I understand that like yes they don't have enough food and it's hard to you know adopt 400 plus people all at once but i don't understand by adopting those 400 plus people and educating them those 400 people then become useful to you so it grows your society as a whole so maybe you don't have food right now in this moment but if you have more labor can't you grow more crops and create more food so that eventually so that eventually you'll have enough food to feed everyone. Like, it'll make their society larger, and they talk about how, like, there's bandits and stuff because this post-apocalyptic world where I was like, there's no laws or anything. Like, yeah, people could try to attack your town, and if you have double your population, you're obviously going to be able to fend yourself off much easier. Like, 
And it's also just, like, much better than, like, sentencing 400 people to death. Yeah. I was thinking about this, too, because it... So... I understand the impulse of the Sparks people to be like, we don't want to just give these people, like, unlimited refugee status. Because I understand that's not tenable. And I do recognize their generosity, but I also agree that the whole, like... We're going to give you six months and then you're done is a bad strategy and a bad investment on their part. Because if they are so strapped for resources, what it should be is like, we are going to train you and we're going to provide you with food for six months. And after that, you can join our society, but then you are no longer getting supported by us or you can leave. Like they should have basically been like, we're going to do six months of charity but then afterwards, you can become a full member of our society or you can move on if you would rather do that. But the whole like, we're going to give you six months and then just cut off doesn't make any sense because there's no, it doesn't sound like they even want them to stay. And therefore, like, they're throwing away resources. Like, they're technically being kind. Yeah, okay, good for them. But like, they're not getting anything out of their kindness. They're just wasting energy teaching these people skills that they're not even going to get to reap the benefits of. Like, for me, I understand that they don't want to just be like, you guys can all be, like, people of Sparks right away because we don't have the food to, like, and space to make you all, like, members of the town. But I'm like, I feel like it would make much more sense to sort of give them, like, a gateway entry program so that then you can, like, use them to grow the village, like you mentioned. I don't know. That that was how I felt about it. It's also just, to me, also not that smart because they've mentioned that the number of the Ember people, like they said, it's 400 plus, is larger than their own city's population. And I just feel like like how you're saying, giving them the option at the end of the six months to either join the Sparks or go off on their own, at least maybe kind of starts to break down this collectiveness of the Emberites. Because if they continue to feel this, like they're a group, they have to stick together, like what happens when you teach them all this stuff and then they turn on you and try to take over your city because they have more numbers? And no, they don't have exceedingly more numbers because they say that the city of Sparks has like 300-something. So even if we said they had 100 more people, if they were to go into some kind of like fight or war, it either side could essentially win, but in both cases, like, they're going to kill a lot of people. You're going to decimate your population, which, like, you already are saying you're struggling to keep people alive as it is, and you're struggling to have work done. Like, you don't want to, you don't want that to happen. So to me, it just isn't, like, strategic, even just for them, knowing the sheer number or the sheer amount of people that they came into, like, came into their town, I feel like they should have been thinking more strategically of like, okay, how can we pose this so that they can never become a threat to us? Like, we're going to help them so that they can benefit us, but also just so like that they can't threaten our well-being and threaten our society. Whereas I feel like, I mean, maybe it is because this is, again, geared more towards younger children and I didn't want to get that dark. But I mean, as we're going to talk about, like, the tensions are rising and it's clear that something's going to happen or something's going to have to happen because it's be kind of become like the Emberites versus the Sparks people. Like it's, they're on two opposing sides. Yeah. That's definitely part of it is like also by dividing them as such and like isolating them to one place, you've started to otherize them even more than you already have, which is just going to, 
I mean, as we see, is going to become a central conflict, if not the central conflict of this book. Yes, but getting back on track with just the plot, (sighs) Torin, as we said, is just extremely insufferable. And he's extremely rude to Lima Bean, and he keeps physically shoving her. Like, okay, <laughs> what? Lima Bean, I guess. It's a better name. He's physically pushing her, and Torin lives with the doctor, the one doctor in this town, Dr. Hester, I believe. Heather. Hester, Dr. Hester. Yeah. And... As this was happening, I was like, does this doctor have, like, no control over him? Like, is it her son? Is it somebody, like, she took in because his parents died or something? But she just fully let him shove lima bean twice before she stepped in and did anything. Like, so whether she's his real parent or just his guardian, like, she's terrible. Like, somebody needs to put this boy in his place. Yeah, I w- it was so clear to me in this moment that the doctor is obviously not Torin's mom. Like, everyone's just been assuming it, and Lina keeps saying, oh my god, like, her child is terrible. He sucks. And then I was like, I literally wrote my notes, I was like, odds this child is not hers, and then turns out that it's not. That Torin is her nephew. But, because you're, like you said, she barely, like, has any effect on him. But, at least he does get egged for being a total menace. But then Lina, like, kind of gets guilted for, like, breaking the egg. And she's like, you guys know that we know nothing. This man has pushed me twice, and I don't even know what an egg is. And he's screaming. Like, I also, like, imagining having him the most... I am also imagining him having the most, like, whiny, whaley voice. Like, again, you know, it's time for a Harry Potter reference. Sorcerer's Stone, movie one, when Dudley's like... 36 presents. Last year I got 38. Or whatever it is. I think it's 36. And then he's like, I got 37 last year. And then she's like, oh, we'll give you two more. And then you'll have 38. But like, I just imagine him being like, Torin being so whiny. Like, I don't want her to have the egg. I don't want him to sleep in. I don't want her to sleep in the loft. That's my room. That's my stuff. You can't touch it. Why does he have a British accent? <laughs> I don't know. It's more likely than them having southern accents. I don't know. What they? It's definitely more likely they have a southern accent. This takes place in the United States. Why? Because it says that it took place in the United States, didn't it? No. The only thing that would make indicate that is that it's all spelled with American English rather than British English. Well, there you go. Okay, well, then he's got a southern accent, but he's also still the leader, is he? <laughs> oh my god, she broke my egg. <laughs> Guys, I'm from the south. I'm so sorry. Let's just move on. I'm 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 from the south. That was horrible. He gets egged. He deserves it. But at least Torn does help advance our exposition. He basically tells us the apocalypse was the great disaster, which included four wars and three plagues. And basically now everyone lives in these outpost communities and is just like subsistence surviving. Also, he mentioned something about the people of Sparks having a quote unquote terrible weapon, which is just so plain and ominous and, you know, Hope we get more answers on that, because that seems like a pretty big deal. 
that we just got mentioned and then like ignored for the rest of the reading. Yeah, I think I actually kind of forgot about when he said that. I think there was just like I said, I get so like he mentions it. And Lina's like, I don't want to ask him too many questions because I don't want to make him feel like I'm, like, too eager. Which is, like, she's so smart. But also, like, I was like, um, can we go back to the weapon? Can we go back, can we <laughs> go back to the... What, what's the weapon? <laughs> so now we should probably start to address Tick, which is another character who's kind of rose to prominence so far in this book, who is from Ember. And he's basically, like, I he's clearly, like, older than... Dune and Lima Beam, but I think he's still like a teenager, so maybe like 17 or something. But he's very outspoken, and people seem to like follow him because he's like shouting things literally like straight white man just taking up space, um, and everybody just flocking towards <laughs> him. But Basically, he just keeps bringing up ideas yes. and people are like, oh, let's do this and let's do that. And Dune, for some reason, has this, like, obsession with him, which it's like... It's a little, little friend crush. Yeah, he has, like, he kind of looks up to him, which, like, makes no sense because based on, like, my understanding, like, I think they said Tick was, like, a cart puller or something in Ember and, like... So, like, to me, he doesn't seem like okay, he was Dune's some super smart... I mean, remember, their jobs were random, but I just, I don't really see, like, he wasn't, like, some smart individual to be followed. Like, he's just some outspoken, loud boy who happens to be tall, maybe described as, like, semi-good-looking. So, like, there's no real reason why people are following him besides besides the fact that he just seems to be the loudest in the room. Like, if you know what I mean? Not necessarily that what he's... I mean, he's he his suggestions aren't all bad. He's described as magnetic. Like, he's char- charismatic. He's definitely, I agree, he's definitely not the smartest, and I think that you're right that, like, him being the loudest voice is important. But I do think that, like, he's described as sort of a magnetic personality. I guess, like, just, like, what kind of name is Tick? Like, I'm sorry. I think that's also why it's just a completely yeah, turned off like, to him. Well, that's why Dune likes him, because it's a bug. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> sorry, I was right there. <laughs> Oh, my God. But, yeah, so Dune is, like, looking up to him, and, like, he's, like, he wants him to talk to him. And I'm, like, Dune, you're the one who saved Ember. Like, he should be looking up to you. But, anyway, that's one thing. True, true, true. Then another thing that we've kind of started to notice, which goes along with, like, the growing tension between the people of Ember and the people of Sparks, is I don't understand why it's so hard for people to see that the Emberites are still human beings, like, just like them, like, the Sparks people, like, they're all humans. And, like, whenever, like, the Ember people are, like, talking to the Sparks, they'll be like, oh, that's not like us. Like, you're not like us. Like, you're like this. And it's like, do they think they're of a different species? Like, they're clearly humans. Like, yes, they're maybe paler and smaller, again, because they lived underground for 200 years. But I don't know. Like, I just... I don't know. It just was, like, really, like, bothersome to keep reading these people being like, oh, you're so different. And also, like, just did you not learn anything from the four wars that they just had? Like, this idea of trying to create differences between you and other people, even though we're all just human beings. And also just the idea of, like, it. they just find it so unbelievable that they actually lived underground. And, like, it's possible that, like, the government could have sent people underground even though the things that the reason why they did it actually happened, there was a disaster of four wars and three plagues. Like, I just didn't understand why that was so like 
hard to believe. Like, there literally was an apocalypse. Like, did you never... And I know, like, I don't know. It's just, like, right now, like, how we see all those apocalypse movies. Like, don't you think if there was an actual apocalypse, like, yeah, I would be expecting the government to hide some people underground and try to save the human race. Yeah. Well, also, like, it just, it it felt rather salient in, like, our continuing national reckoning with race and racism that, like, there's just this inherent need to divide and separate people. Like, they are slightly different skin tone and they don't have the same world knowledge and basically have, like, almost a different language because they don't have the same vocabulary. And they, the Sparks people are like, you cannot, you, there's no way you're the same humans that we are. Like, it's just not possible. And that's um, just a little bit of a history lesson on white people creating race. You know, they basically just decided and declared that people of different races were biologically different and um, not the same species as white people. And, you know, that is racism. So I love that you're pretending to hold a microphone (laughs) when there's literally a microphone in front of you right now. You're literally talking to a microphone, but Charles has his hand like in a fist below his chin, like he has a second microphone, like when there's a microphone right in front of him. Okay, but if I grabbed my microphone while I was talking, it would completely change uh, my audio levels. You would never levels. hear the end of it. You would never hear the end of it of how you just ruined the whole episode. Yeah, so Asia, I guess stick with your fake microphone. Asia would crucify me. She would tear, she would quarter and feather me if I grabbed my microphone during recording. So. I have to do my fake microphone instead. But, yes. Anyway, all I could think about was like, wow, these Sparks people are really racist. <laughs> yeah. And, yes, like you mentioned, we should say Tick was a cart puller and ember. And one of the things we should specifically mention, like, he's already been jokingly recalled Tick for mayor. Like, and, but we should... Well, Which is just ridiculous. This is the 17-year-old kid who's like, yeah, let's let's fight against the people who literally knows how to do nothing. Like, I just... Well, also, again, not to, like, again, fix on, like, current-day issues, because, again, this book was written way before that. But he also kind of is, like, selling this, like, cheap bill of patriotism. Like, he convinces the Emberites, like, put up with a flag of Ember, which you know, makes them all feel really special and united, but it only causes the people of Sparks to make up their own flag and put theirs up and then divide them. And it's like, he's like kind of selling like cheap patriotism, which is like almost a little bit like nationalistic. And it's only causing to make their situation worse because he's further separating them from the people of Sparks. And as Dune starts to notice and Dune starts to become disillusioned, Tick is really just doing what's popular in the moment, and he's not actually following through, so he's actually not really helping the community. So, and we definitely need to keep an eye on him because he's definitely, like, self-interested and not actually, like, his actions haven't actually really helped the people of Ember yet. Yes, and then at this point I have to ask, does Oop Ark... Does that mean supermarket? Because I can't remember the little boy's name, but oh my god, wait. It's like Perry or Harry or Kingston or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think it is like Kingston. Not Kingston. It's something. It wasn't Kingston. It's on a USB drive or like capital of the Bermuda. It's something like that, but 
or Kensley. Was it, it Kensley? Kenny. It was Kenny. Oh, okay. It was Kenny. Are we sure? Anyway, no, this little sure. boy that Dune meets from the food, because the, they are all paired with families to eat food every day. The son is named Kenny or something with a K, from what we remember. And he takes Dune to this place that's that the only letters that are left are Oop, Ark. And I'm assuming, like, filling in the blanks, that's supermarket. So I figure maybe that's where they, like, stored the food, but... He takes Dune in there, and there's, like, a bunch of books, like, piled inside. Yeah, I think that you're right. It's probably, I think that Oop Ark, or U-P-E-A-R-K, is probably supermarket. Especially because we eventually find out that there's actually a food storeroom in it, or at least that's what Tick says. And the books that Kenny shows to Dune are textbooks. And so now Dune is just going to read textbooks for fun. Like... He was talking about thermodynamics. I was like, uh, Newton's third law, never again. Thank you very much. But, like, Dune just, like, is going to read the books, like, the textbooks. And it sounds like he's, like, blazing through them. I mean, again, Charles, like I said, there's nothing else to do. There's no technology, no internet, no TV. Well, um, they've got some some chamber potholes to dig. they got to dig out their toilet That's work. But what do you do after work? You still have to have leisure time. So, you read. Okay, well... I mean, I like to read, too, but... I'm sure it's much more interesting when you have no idea about anything. Like, you didn't even know science Yeah, you existed. could be like, this is fiction. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, what? Just magic. making this stuff up. Oh, so then here we go, back to Torin, our least favorite character, which he gets upset about Casper, which is his older brother. He returns with this girl named Maddie, who he says is his new roaming partner, which this literally brought me joy because, like I said, I hate that little boy. And Torin has been talking about how his brother is this hotshot roamer and he's going to come back and get Torin so that they can be roaming partners. And lo and behold, he's come back with a lady who he's already made his roaming partner. So, And he's like, Torin, you cannot come with us. You're just a child. Yeah, yeah. That was really funny. I like that you were like, I got joy out of Torn being sad. I was very joyful in that <laughs> moment. I was like, oh, he got exactly what he deserved. <laughs> but this conversation when Casper comes and is like telling his stories and everything is important for a couple of reasons. Because after Casper and they all kind of like head to bed, Dr. Hester is really kind of giving the lowdown on Casper, and she says that he's not actually a good roamer, and there's something odd about him. And, I, you know, I was like, I wonder what that means? Because she basically says that, real quick definition of the roamers are basically, they're people they just travel around and look at abandoned places, basically, and pick up things that, the, that they can then trade in, like, villages, like Sparks. For other stuff, basically. So it's kind of like in The Giver, or not The Giver, whichever book it was where they had the market, what is it called? In The Hunger Games when they have the black market? No, 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 no. In, um, when they traded their greatest thing. Trade Master, Trademark. Trade Master, the Trade Market, whatever it was called. Like, it just kind of reminded me of that, because again, like, it's not like you're buying things with money, it's trades, which... Also in Hunger Games on the black market when they would, like, trade things. When Katniss would trade, like, her rabbits for bread or something. 
but so it's just like the kind of thing of like bartering and trading but like obviously people need like useful things like things they actually need like maybe a cooking pot or soap or stuff that they like actually like can't live without and she says like he grabs like things that no one needs like he got like fake flowers and she was like who would need fake flowers like we're trying to survive we don't need stuff like that anymore so she kind of like makes a comment about it to lima bean and and mrs murdo or just lima bean i don't know but she makes a comment to them and i was like well that was weird and then yeah she really doesn't like casper yeah it's just kind of clear like she doesn't think highly of him whereas like we said Torin, like worships the worships him and on. even lima bean is like there's definitely seems like there's something off with casper like he doesn't seem like his head's in the right place or something yeah no it's a good point that he like only gets useless stuff though i mean as we saw when the first rumor came in they had diamonds and they were like i don't know well, maybe i'll put them on the horse or like see if i can like use them for something and it you know, the fact that the diamonds, like, barely sold, even though, like, the pots were a big commodity. I was like... Well, because they have no uh, use. It's a commentary on like materialism. That. Yep. But anyway, then, secondly, we also get some foreshadowing, or what I think could be foreshadowing, of what could be in the people of Ember's future. Because Casper is talking about how him and Maddie are planning on going to this city which we don't know what city it is because again we don't really know where we are necessarily located but they're going to this city like a it's not chicago like an abandoned city and they're gonna go because there's like all kinds of treasures there but there could be danger and so of course lima bean is like oh my goodness this could be my magical city that i've been dreaming of and she she like has to adjust (laughs) Her mental picture because he's like it's obviously not going to be shiny and gleaming like I once imagined it but it'll be kind of like the ruins of that city and she's like maybe it's like Ember's future and like destiny to go find this city and rebuild and like restore this city from the ground up and so I mean this is a children's book so yes maybe that is that's why I said maybe this is possible foreshadowing or you know it's Lima Bean literally grasping at straws like for her dream to come true. I mean, as long as the city's not Chicago, I'll probably be okay with it. But I just feel like I can't go back to Divergent. We'll find the experiment there. No experiment, please. So do you want to just wrap up Lina's storyline since we're already on it? Yes, let's wrap it up for Lima Bean. Basically, <laughs> I just... So Lima Bean decides that she's going to hitch a ride. <laughs> With Casper and Maddie all by herself to this city because she kind of is eavesdropping on them and they say how like they're going to leave like the day after tomorrow or something and she overhears them say something about a day's journey. So she's like, it can't be that far. Like, I'll just hide in the cart or I guess it's a truck. Like, I'm assuming it's like a pickup truck being pulled by these oxen. It's a pickup truck being pulled by oxen. So she's going to hide in one of the crates that like there's like an empty crate in the bed of the truck i'm assuming she's gonna hide in one of those and sneak because that way she can see the city and then she can she says she'll just come back on her own to sparks to tell the other people about this city and then they can all go move there that's her plan and even if so they say if they say it's a day's worth of travel that's a day's worth on an oxen pulled truck 
And I don't think Lima Bean knows how to get an oxygen <laughs> truck. So she's going to be coming back on foot. Not to mention the fact that she doesn't have a compass, let alone even knows what a compass <laughs> is. So she would have no way of getting back. Like she has no way of knowing where she's going. So this plan was already just a failure because there's absolutely no way that she's going to make, like, she would, like, yes, she could definitely yeah. sneak onto the truck, maybe stay hidden for the one day that it takes them to get there. But what happens when she gets off? How How is she going to get back? That is just not possible at all. Yeah, I agree. It kind of reminds me of her stupidity in the first book when it was like she had one job, deliver the message to Clary. She doesn't do that, but instead returns with an infant and is like, we're going with a child. A child who gets sick on the journey, which we've, been we've forgotten to mention but poppy's sick the whole time probably because she was being taken care of by 12 year olds yeah yeah we did forget to mention that poppy is like really really sick but i think she was getting like a little better but she was getting a little better but that's the reason they're staying with the doctor in this book that's yeah that's the reason why lima bean and mrs murdo are with the doctor and torn well torn's with the doctor that we don't we don't talk about him but anyway Once she jumps into this truck or whatever and her plan or whatever, they end up, they do end up finding her in there and they're like, oh, we'll keep you. But guess what? She misheard them because the journey is actually a five day trip just to get to the city, not one day. So yeah, she definitely wasn't going to be able to make it back on her own. And Casper's just like, you'll be on your own when we get to the city. We'll just drop you off and you can figure your life out, which at that point, she's just good as dead because she doesn't know how to do anything. And she doesn't know anyone, and she has no sense of direction, and she has no form of transportation. But Maddie does at least, like, reassure Lima Maddie Bean. Maddie is a soft spot for Lina. Yeah, she is a soft spot for Lima Bean. She must love some Lima Beans. Anyway, <laughs> she, she, like, reassures her that, like, well, they'll keep her safe, and she'll make sure that she has, like, a safe way of getting back to Sparks to be back with, like, her family and the other people of Ember. So... That was kind of, like, nice because now, okay, I feel, like, a little bit better about this ridiculous plan that, like, I do think it's it's will eventually all work out. We don't know how, but at least we know yeah. somebody is looking out for Lima Bean. I, I'm never going to use that, but I will agree. I'm glad there's some protection for her. And we get to finish with our least favorite character again. So Torin. Dr. What's her name? Hester? Hester. Dr. Hester, I'm so jealous. Lima Bean has gone off with Casper. This is like Hermione Granger. Like, and that's not even close. I'm it's not whiny to... enough. It's not whiny enough. I'm supposed to go off with her and I, with Casper, and she's ruined everything. Nah. It's an F for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Torin gets super jealous of Lina, and he says he wants to, and I quote, bomb her. He wants to throw a bomb at her, and then he wants to throw a bomb at the Pioneer Hotel, like they had in the old days, and blow her up. And then he starts breaking stuff, which includes throwing two crates worth of tomatoes at a shed, breaking it, and then blaming Dune. Like... This was the absolute worst. Like, he is the absolute worst. Yeah, this is where I said, um, 
yeah, Tor needs to die. I don't know if people are going to die in this series, but, but he like, needs he to should, be the first one to he go. Needs to. Because, I agree. like, something we haven't kind of talked about or we didn't go into detail about is there's obviously, like, not a lot of food, especially with the Sparks taking on these 400 extra people. They're sparing everything they can, or at least that's what they're saying. And the Ember people are especially starving. Like, they've really not been giving them a lot of food. So the fact that he wastes two crates worth of tomatoes is, like, a huge deal. Like, that's just food in the trash. Not to mention, he also breaks, like, the window, which, again, they're living in, like, caveman times. It's not like you call the window repairman, like... Like, you, they have to go you break find it, it's broken, a sheet of glass. Like, and you may and then, never find it again, so... Yeah. This was, like... And he ex- blames it on someone else, like... Yes, and as soon as he, like, realizes what he's done, he's like, oh, he has a plan. So he, like... When the people come over, he's like, I know. He's like, I saw who did it. I saw who did it. Yeah, he's got definitely more of a high-pitched voice. Like, a little, a little, like. I oh. saw who did it. I saw who did it. No, you got to make I it like, I saw, I saw who did it. I saw, <laughs> I saw who did it. I saw who did it. No, that's, a, it that's like a little him. mouse. It was him. <laughs> It's too high-pitched. Anyway. <laughs> He's like, I was him. It was him, and of course, he happens just ha- so happens to point out Dune, and Dune is just shocked because he's like, also, I mean, it literally makes okay if these people would use their brains, it literally makes <laughs> no sense why out of everybody to do something like this, it would make no sense for the Ember people to do it because the Ember people are literally starving. So if they saw two crates of tomatoes, they would have stole them to eat them. So it makes no <laughs> exactly. sense why they would have destroyed them. They would have hoarded those backups to the Pioneer Hotel and feasted on raw tomatoes. And that sounds disgusting, but they're starving. <laughs> so they would have been feasting. So when you really think about it, it absolutely makes no sense that the Ember people would have participated in this. It makes way more sense that one of the Sparks people would have tried to frame it to further rise the tensions, possibly. But it was just obviously like extremely immature and ridiculous. And the fact that he was so angry that he wanted to bomb... <laughs> Set off a bomb. Talk about red flags. Red flag. Red yeah. flag. Like extreme. There's a lot of red, red flags. flags. Like I'm sorry. Well, he just like he's also not looking at the world like appropriately. Like he's getting mad at everyone else when the only person he really should be mad at is Casper. Should be mad at Casper for like making him think that he's a certain way. Like, but. Honestly, Casper's not showing him any affection. Like, it's more that... But he, and it, like, he could maybe be mad at Lina, but, like, why is he breaking the shed when Lina's the one who, like, got on the cart? Like Anger issues. He could have just gotten to go on to the cart. anger management classes, but, you know, those don't exist anymore. No. he Yeah, he definitely would need that. <sighs> and then, finally, we get this scene with... Or right before this, we get the scene with Tick and Dune, you know. Dune's just obsessed with Tick. So he's, like, freaking. At this point, he's less obsessed, though. Like, at this point, he's. He's less obsessed, but he's still, like, oh, my God, Tick's talking to me. He's like, oh, my God, Tick's coming over to talk to me. Like, me. He's coming to talk to me. But, like, I don't really care that much. That's the vibe I get from Dune when he's, like, he's, like, oh, my God, he's coming. I was, like, like, act cool. Like, that's the vibe I get from Dune. Let's be besties. But anyway. So they're having this conversation basically because Dune like goes out in the forest and he finds these berry bushes and he's like picking berries to bring back to his 
like roommates or whatever in the hotel and he's like eating some along the way and like tick comes out of nowhere and tick kind of goes on this whole thing about how you know them being forced to be in the hotel and like basically like talking about how the sparks people aren't treat treating the embers like fairly and like things should be fair like he keeps emphasizing this idea that things should be fair as he literally is eating these berries like straight out of dune's hand like dune offers him because mm-hmm. he's a polite person some berries and tick is like oh can i have some and dune having the perfect response is like i don't own these bushes of course you can have some like they're just bushes like they're not mine anybody <laughs> can eat from them but he's talking about all this fairness for the people of ember when like we've said the people of ember are starving So he's talking about all this as he's literally, like, eating all the berries Dune's picking, eating all the ones off the bushes, whereas, you know, if you were so thinking about being fair, wouldn't you think, oh, we should pick these berries to bring back to the embers and, like, pass it out so, like, everyone will be less hungry? And, like, he doesn't even mention, like, like this perfect example of, like, they're hungry and they found this source of food that has nothing to do with the sparks that they don't even have to share with them if they don't want to, but that they could share among their own people, but that's, like, not even a an idea that pops into his head. So like, I don't know, that was just very odd. And like, I feel like another like very clear foreshadowing of like what ticks true character is of, you know, he's going to be like you said, this patriotism and we're all in this together kind of mentality. But I think just like with the mayor, like he's ultimately just selfish and will do anything to benefit himself and solely himself. I agree. I think it's definitely tick for tick. Ha ha ha, I was so close to Dick for Tat. But anyway, he, yeah, it's it's clear that he's looking out for himself and whatever his plan is, like, even the way he's, like, trying to rope Dune into, like, doing stuff for him, he's kind of like, you're smart, you're the hero. Like, it sounds like he, like, basically wants to get revenge on the Sparks people and he's going to ma- have Dune formulate a plan, you know, kind of a Tobias moment, if you will. And oh gosh, I'm not looking forward to it. But yeah, I can feel Dune's fall from grace. I mean, just as soon as he was like, "Tick, this guy seems cool," I was like, "That's a bad judgment of character." But again, okay, named after the insect that gives humans Lyme's disease. Just saying, but yeah, but what I will say is that it was like such a page turner. Like, I was like, "Oh, oh my definitely. god, I want to read what happens and like what Tick and Lyme and Dune get up." too and like what happens to Lina when she like goes into the city like I'm like I'm excited to keep reading yeah me too I'm I'm more ex- interested in what's gonna happen to Lima Bean I think she's gonna have a more interesting well at least as she we definitely got more with her and more interesting because she wasn't with everybody else she's been separated from the group because of Poppy so I feel like she's having a more interesting character arc so far also, I'm excited to see her relationship with Maddie. I think it's going to be interesting because Maddie like showed some softness both on the road and before they got on the road, which I think will be fascinating or I'm hoping will be fascinating. I feel like Maddie's going to be like, I had a little sister who like died in the three plagues. Like that's my prediction right now. I feel like it has to be something like that. Yeah. If this book was written nowadays, I would say let's be honest, but since this book was no, written about 15 I, years ago. Also, um, Lima Bean is 12. No, I'm not saying and, like creeping on Lina, just like, I don't know. But Maddie, like, I'm telling, like, Casper, I'm assuming they're like young adults. Like, even if you said they're like 17, if she's 12, Romeo and Juliet? No. 
12, 15, what is Absolutely not. That's disgusting. It's called a pedophilia right there. <laughs> it's true. Okay, let's move on from that. I'm excited to see their relationship, even if it's platonic. And I am not excited to see their relationship. It is not platonic. I just want to emphasize that right now. I'm only looking forward to platonic or familial relationships between the two of these people. Since one of them is a child, but um, Charles said what he said. No, no, no! I'm not condoning any sort of <laughs> any sort of crime. Please, no crimes. Okay, no crimes. Don't cancel me. Anyway, let's just we need to finish. Okay. We're going to finish the book for next week, so if you do read along, just go ahead and read to the end of The People of Sparks. And as always, if you have predictions, theories, or questions, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty or facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at Asia Bonilla on Twitter. I'm a ghost there. And <laughs> Asia.Bonilla on Instagram, which I'm, I'm active on Instagram. So if you're going to reach out, reach out to me there. Yeah, I'm at C.E. Sheeland on Twitter, except that, like, I'm not. And I'm at Seashells on Instagram. So, yeah, definitely reach out to me on Instagram. We, we are Gen Z's. We're, Gen we're Z, the right? tippy yeah, top we're Gen of Gen Z. Yeah, we're the tippy top of Gen Z. So Instagram is our social media. So that's how you want to contact us. But, you know, if you did enjoy this, make sure you rate and review the show. Share it with your friends. And, of course, check out the other amazing, awesome, fun podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. And make sure you're subscribed to Throwback Paperback so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. And we will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.